episode 278 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It's your Thursday edition, and I'm Paul Spohr, joined as always on Thursdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? Doing good. Yourself? Not bad at all. Got a lot of fun planned for today. At least I think it's fun. Hopefully everyone agrees. We're going to be talking about some of the youths of America. Actually, some of the youths of Major League Baseball. We're talking youths. about Utes, the Utes, uh, <laughs> 25 and under type guys here is what we're looking at. And we're going to kind of tour the diamond. And kind of the purpose of this is is really to identify strong keepers. Because, you know, if you're in an auction league or in, in a draft round league where you know, this guy costs an 18th rounder if you keep him, these are the guys that, you know, 25 and under, on the rise stars. They're not established superstars yet, so we're not talking Bryce Harper. Obviously, if you can get Bryce Harper, by all means, but uh, his price is, is likely elevating because he's been around for a while now anyway. But these guys are newish. They should be cheap in your leagues, and you got a chance to get them on the cheap before they bust out. So we were going to do our own teams with it, but then uh, we basically had all the same guys. So we just said, well, let's just talk about them as a group. So we'll start behind the dish, you know. And I like uh, when you sent over your list, I like that you had kind of, you know, upper echelon and then maybe deeper if you're talking like a single league. So, so we'll hit on some of those deeper ones too. But at the upper end, we both like Blake Swihart and JT Real Muto. Uh, talk to me a bit about Real Muto. He's somebody I, I've been intrigued by this year, and he's got a little bit of an interesting speed component with his game that is obviously huge behind the dish. I think there's a bit of a kind of floor and ceiling situation going on here because Real Muto really showed that he can make contact. And, you know, anybody who listens to this show knows that I like guys that make contact, and especially in fantasy, just because they're more likely to put up a good batting average. Um, you know, catch was not the greatest place to look for batting average, though. So I could see, uh, you know, maybe looking more at Swihart and saying, you know, I see more upside here. There's certainly more, you know, prospect pedigree, I think, with Swihart. Mm -hmm. There might be more power in that stick eventually. Uh, But, you know, right now, if I had to choose between the two, I would take uh, Real Muto because... Uh, he's shown that he's going to have an above-average strikeout rate. He's shown that with his minor league and major league numbers. Um, even if the power regresses a little bit, it's representative. And, uh, you know, he stole seven bases and stole way more bases than uh, Swihart ever did in the minors. So, you know, uh, you know, another 10-10 season next year, 250-10-10 or 250-10-5, uh, I think is, is not at all impossible. Yeah, Swihart has that huge August that that you know is propping up his second half, as, and he's been so he's been better overall in the second half. But it was a real struggle for him coming out of the gate. Nice to see him at least put up a sustained period of of kind of that pedigree that we're looking at with him. I think I'd actually lean towards Swihart between the two, uh, even though it is close. I I, I do. Often like uh, high floors, though, when you're talking about certain guys, particularly behind the dish. I used to subscribe to, you know, I'll get some totally lame, worthless second catcher for a dollar and move on. And I no longer do that because you just give away a lot of value in that in that spot. Uh, I'm not necessarily going out and buying the top two guys, but I like to live in that middle tier. And I think both of these guys will kind of be there next year. Uh, maybe not, maybe not quite the, the next Yasmani Grandal. I, I, you know, I think there was some buzz for him this year, but you know, around that level where he was in the mid teens, uh, early twenties area 
of ranks who could obviously jump up. So we like both of those catchers. And then for a deeper one, you, you named James McCann, who plays for the Tigers. He's had a he's had a pretty solid season. I assume this is more of an AL-only situation where you'd like him? I, I think so. I mean, one of the things that works against him is that, um, well, I don't know what the other guys are. A lot of catchers are right-handed. But um, in, in, this, in James McCann's case, he's right-handed and – you know, they've been using him a lot um, as, you know, versus lefties. And that was kind of, I think, the idea when they called him up was, here's a guy who we can play against lefties. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a little different than a Swihart who the, has the pedigree behind him and says, you know, people think this is going to be our, our catcher, you know. Um, so, you know, you don't know how, you know, how much uh, worse McCann's numbers would be uh, if he if he saw, I mean, he he did see, you know, three times as many uh, righties as lefties this year. So I guess you know, I guess it was by you know well, after a certain amount of play, they just sort of let him go. But, no, it uh, got to I, a point where you know Avila wasn't healthy. Uh, yeah. or, or particularly special when he was playing. So, yeah, McCann ended up becoming basically a full-time catcher for for the bulk of the season and, and perhaps has done enough that, uh, you know, they might not re-sign Alex Avila, even though his father is the general manager. You know, he's a free agent. So <laughs> yeah. they might be like, sorry, son. Awkward. I mean, Got to let you go here. It's, it's a real possibility. I mean, just a, a dreadful season for Avila this year. Only 60 games played. That's obviously awful in itself. But then a 186 uh, batting average, 325 OBP, and 261 slug. Very tough season there, and he's going to be 29 next year. Looks like McCann is the immediate future behind the dish for the Tigers. Yeah, you know, the, the good is that he hits the ball really hard. Uh, the bad is that so far it's been on the ground. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, of these three catchers, you know, the, you could maybe make the argument that McCann might have the best uh, 2016, because, you know, starting with a guy who, uh, you know, he makes middle-of-the-road contact between the two, right? You know, Swihart a little bit less, um, although if you talk about swing strike rate, I think Swihart actually has McCann beat. Let me check that real quick. Yeah, Swihart makes a little bit more uh, contact on a per-pitch basis. But okay. uh, in terms of strikeout rate, uh, Swihart, it's been sort of Swihart worse, McCann second, and then, and then Real Muto. Um in terms of pedigree, it's all Swihart and McCann. Neither McCann nor Real Muto really had uh, much buzz behind them. Uh, but in terms of like actual demonstrated power, uh, McCann is right there. Um, you know, second Real Muto and probably ahead of him in, you, if you combine track record plus demonstrated power. So, you know, if he just you know changes that that swing plane just a little bit and gets a, you know a little more loft on his pitches. Um, I don't know, 14 homers. That, that that's for McCann. You're saying that's not impossible. I don't yeah, think. I don't think that's impossible. And and we're talking about all three of these guys are going to be lucky to hit much better than 250. So, um, you know, 250, 260. One one guy is going to hit 14 homers. One guy of these three is going to hit 14 homers. Uh, the other two are going to hit 10 or so. And Real Muto is going to steal the most bases. So. Yeah. And I think Swihart no has the best chance to kind of explode 
between the three. But yeah. that's, uh, that's just the pop prospect pedigree coming out there. That's not really saying too much. I think we all knew that. Uh, next position, first base. That one's tough. Obviously, there's not usually young guys there. And, and if they are, they're already superstars like Anthony Rizzo. But uh, you, you were able to dig up a couple that, that are very intriguing. A guy that we've talked about a lot in the past, but I'll give you another uh, little bit here to talk about Will Myers, who, you know, if he hadn't gotten hurt, I, th- I think he was on his way to a really nice season. It's obviously easy to say because his numbers look good when he got hurt. But I just thought he was going to be, you know, a, a good bit better than he was last year. That was a disastrous season for him. 614 OPS for Myers last year. I thought he could be a low 800s guy, uh, you know, upper 700s maybe. And, and he is. But again, when he got hurt, I think he was at like 850. Yeah, you know, his numbers look a lot like they did in 2013 before he got hurt. So, uh, you know, that year he had a 185 ISO, this year 184. Um, That year, 24% strikeout year, this year 21. Um, You know, 9% walk rate both years. So I think you see a guy with decent discipline, uh, makes decent contact, and has above average power. Um, You know, those are all things I like to see a guy on the right side of. Not, you know, not a center fielder anymore. And so... You know the the situation. Then I I mean I think he, he's playing some center field still, but I doubt that they're going to go into next year uh, planning on on Myers at center, in center field. So no, that uh, that would be an emergency situation. I think any any center field play that he gets next year. Yeah, and so that means that he's you know he's up against uh, Yonder Alonso, who you know did finally show some ability this year. I mean. At least in terms of batting average and on-base percentage, um, you know, he finally kind of put together you know, 10% better than league average, um, you know, worth a win in uh, two-thirds of a season. So um, they, they've got a lot of figuring out to do. Uh, but to me, Myers in the corner or Myers at first base um, is a good situation. He's still young. He still hasn't put together the full season um of of health and excellence um and i think that's that's all still in him and i doubt you know given the way that this season went and how they're going to go forward i doubt that he's the guy they trade yeah i i would agree there too and and, you know since we are talking god this dog only wakes up when i'm podcasting to squeak her toys (laughs) um the way that uh what was I saying about – see, I totally lost my train of thought. This dog, I swear. Oh, no, we're talking about keeper situations. Pop and Myers and uh, – yeah. yeah, with with Will Myers. And if we're talking in only league, he came over to the NL, so he's obviously fresh to that league. I don't know that he went for, for a crazy cost in many NL leagues. So if you're, if you're trading for him, he should still come at a pretty cheap rate. And I do think this is still a guy who – you know, could really be a lot better than what we've seen because we've seen flashes of it where it's like, wow, no wonder he, everyone thought that Kansas City automatically lost that that trade uh, because you know you see him for two months just raking, uh, but it never has come together yet. So I'm very interested to see kind of how it shakes out with him. He he will still have outfield eligibility next year, so that's that's good. But once he becomes first base only, he's going to have to step up his game a level before I'm going to want to invest. Uh, too heavily in him your deep option was Travis Shaw and, and the dude just continues to hit for power I mean when if when it first happened Colette and I talked about it. I think he had a two homer game and we we're just like eh, we don't really know anything about him and I asked you and and we we didn't really get to the bottom of anything yet because there, there wasn't a lot to go off of 
I mean, he's still only 177 plate appearances, but he's got 11 bombs, uh, you know, 127 WRC plus. What's up with Travis Shaw? You know, there's another name on this list, which is, which you know, probably people are gonna are gonna say we should have mentioned, which is Gregory Bird. But you know, he's just behind two guys that are that are stuck there, and obviously, um, you know, I think we're gonna see a little bit less out of uh, out of uh, Alex Rodriguez and 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 um, Mark Teixeira next year than they than they put together this year, uh, just because of age and how that works, but. At the same time, that doesn't. There's not an opportunity for him necessarily uh, going into the season and 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 for full time at bats. So, you know, as much as Gregory Bird probably has more prospect pedigree, uh, you know, has more of a track record when it comes to uh, power at least. Um, Travis Shaw is the one who's got an opportunity. I mean, uh, as it stands now, he would be be the starter at first base. Uh, yeah. You know, he may sit. He may sit against lefties. And, you know, he may have a 40 future value from Kylie McDaniel and he, uh, he may be 25. And so some of his numbers have to come with a grain of salt. He may not have shown much power at AAA this year in a second attempt at AAA. But at the same time, you know, you have to add his power in the major leagues to his power in the minor leagues. Uh, and that brings him up to at least a major league average for a, a first base. And if you're, you know, kind of put it, trying to put together a team, um, you know, that can be competitive in the short term, like Dombrowski is going to do, but also not spend a lot on a first baseman. Well, I don't even know that there is a great free agent first baseman coming up. Yeah, I don't know um, either. You know, to me, that means that uh, the obvious situation uh, is to just let Shaw, you know, get some play. And um, Oh, Chris Davis. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty good. So that, you know, yeah, I, guess it's I, I don't know if they're going to pay him, but... but. Is is that a Dombrowski type hire? And uh, will they gonna, are they going to spend that kind of money yeah. there? I think that you know, the the way that their their season has gone, the the lineup pretty much I think did what it was supposed to. Wait, you know, isn't, the lineup, isn't Hanley going to take first leader. base? Oh, that's right, Hanley. Hanley, that's that's right. That's yeah, what's the forgot, situation. We forgot about it. We forgot. Yeah, about it. but you know what? Hanley's Hanley's such a uh, oh, it's not rock solid, but I'm just I'm sure people are screaming right. at their phones saying no Hanley, you idiots. So yeah, we, right. he's gonna be there. But you know what? This, I guess the question then becomes, who do you think is gonna be more healthy next year, Mark Teixeira or Hanley Ramirez? I think that the answer would be Hanley Ramirez. Uh, would be uh, Mark Teixeira actually. Yeah, I, I think that the answer would be. And Hanley's really been a a, a crap show. Plus. Um, I guess if you add in Alex Rodriguez versus David Ortiz, uh, I wonder how, I wonder who's going to get more plate appearances next year. I think that's an actually real interesting prop bet. Shaw versus Bird. Shaw, yeah, Shaw v. Bird. So, you know, we, we said deep anyway. We're talking AL only when it comes he has to a nice, Shaw. You know, what I've seen from Shaw is he has a nice swing. Uh, it's, a, it's a sort of prototypical lefty swing that, that can take advantage of, uh, of low balls. And... Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a child. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so I'm not surprised that he showed a little more power than he did in the minors. I mean, it, it doesn't look like a powerless swing. I, I don't I don't know. Maybe he was trying to cut down on his strikeouts. There was a, you know, the first attempt at AAA, he had 22% strikeout rate. Then last year, it was 16%, and the power went down. So I bet you he was trying to cut down on his strikeouts and, uh, you know, did something to, to kind of make more contact that affected his power. So... From what I see, uh, I don't think that the current power levels are necessarily sustainable, but 
um, you know, 400 to 420, 440 type slugging, I think he can manage. Second base is rich. Uh, that's one thing I noticed with, with both of our yeah. lists. There's a lot of richness here. Even again, even with the qualification of non-superstar level here, since we're trying to find guys who could be, you know, nice keeper values, still came up with a lot of guys. And you know, kind of on the upper end, we've got Rugnet Odor, Colton Wong, Devon Travis, and Joe Panic. Um, which of those is your favorite? Uh, you know, I kind of like Travis. I'm a little bit worried about how the season went for him, honestly. Um, it's been unfortunate. You know, it's just, yeah, you, you, this health is the the hardest thing to to know when it's a when it's an issue. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, having exploratory shoulder surgery in in September, you know, he could be young enough where it doesn't matter. Uh, maybe they don't find anything big. Maybe it's uh, fine into ne- next year. But shoulders are important for. Power. And if he was an older player, you would you would probably say stay away. Um, so, you know, who knows how that's actually going to work out for him and, and, and you know, if he's going to recover. I think, you know, more likely I'd be I'd, I'd be interested in, in trying to find him cheap next year. But um, uh, in terms of uh, the other guys, uh, I I can't. So Wong, you know, Wong is great. Wong is great. I love his his leg kick and I love. I love how he's he he's managed to get a lot of power out of a out of a smaller frame, um, and I do do think there's a little bit more power coming. I love that he's stolen all these bases. He's gonna make he's he's making good contact. There's really no reason to to speak against him except that you know Odor is younger, um, has more power probably, has a nicer park, and makes about as much contact uh so i think for me it's odor uh, yeah I, i'm not surprised I to hear you say that uh given you know you, you, pro- you propped him up nicely this year and, and he's panned out since his recall he's been fantastic i think i'm in a similar situation as you uh because it seems like you don't dislike any of them you're certainly on board with all of them i really feel like you know if you if you were to go out and try to trade for one of these and you, and you got turned down you could just move on to the next one and whichever of the four that uh, came through for you, eh, I think I'd be pretty fine with. You know, I, I like all of these guys. My favorite—I um, don't know if he's my favorite from fantasy standpoint because it's it, it's batting average driven. I'm I'm a big Joe Panic fan, but uh, yeah. So I, that's the thing. I can't really say he's, he's the best for fantasy because he doesn't run a ton and, and it's batting average driven. So. I think Wong of, of those uh, is the one I'd be most interested in. I love the power-speed combo. I actually still think there's there's some batting average upside in, in his game. And, uh, yeah, a lot of folks expected him to take the step this year. He's going to be one of those guys that uh, the, the winter profiles are going to be, hey, he disappointed because he was such a high pick last year and he was okay but, you know, had a 7.15 OPS, which is where he's at right now. And then now is now is the time to get on board because now his price is going to go down, and you can get in and get the big breakout season next year. So I'll, I'll pick Wong to your uh, Odor there, but I think I think all these guys are going to be fantastic next year. Let's jump over to shortstop. Oh, actually, um, I can't can't get off of second base without hitting one of these deep options. Jonathan Scope. I'm I'm obsessed with that guy. I whine about him every day. Um, and I just I just wrote about him. Yeah, I just I just I just wrote about him in his in his big second half. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. You know, we saw, we saw the power last year. It was really empty because uh, he had 209 average, uh, you know, one, uh, 64 WRC plus. 249 Babbitt was really hurting him. You know, I'm always harping against using Babbitt as a luckometer and just saying this guy's lucky, this guy's not. You hit 249 with a Babbitt as hard as he hits the ball. I think there was some bad luck there. Doesn't have an amazing approach with a high, you know, 25% strikeout rate and a piss poor 3% walk rate. But <laughs> so much power. I love the power. And that walk and strikeout rate, those run very much counter to what he did in the minors. He put up an 8% walk rate and a 16% strikeout rate in 2,000 minor league plate appearances. I think as he kind of really gets settled as a major leaguer and, and, and finds himself, I think he can have the power while also getting closer to both of those rates. So I'm a huge Jonathan Scope fan. Definitely be chasing him in AL onlys and maybe even in, in deeper mixers if he's coming in at a buck or two. Yeah, it's it's just weird that uh, he's so hyper-aggressive. I mean, he swings at everything outside the zone, 40-plus percent. That's 10 percent above average. His swing rate is 60 percent. Uh, Joey Votto's, you know, the king of not swinging, and he's uh, he's at 37. Oh, my God. So, yeah, uh, and, and always swinging for the range. homer. Yeah, right. Doesn't have so, a two-strike swing. No, it doesn't really have a two-strike swing. So... I'm not sure how much better this is going to get, especially since the swing strike rate is 18% this year. Um, you know, there's a decent amount of swing and miss there. Uh, a few infield fly balls. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that has to get better uh, for him to improve the OBP and uh, the contact rate. So um, I'd like him. I think I'd take him more in, um, in the onlys. And uh, I think the guy that might be deep, but a little bit closer to um, uh, mixed relevant to mixed league for me uh, is Cesar Hernandez because uh, it's a bit of a floor ceiling type situation here because Cesar Hernandez is not going to develop any more power. Um, he's he's not, not a prospect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he's a buck fifty uh, soaking wet. So uh, you know, he's not going to develop any more power. Or he's not a, a prospect, but uh, he makes above-average contact, has already demonstrated an above-average walk rate. I think he'll stick at the top of that lineup, especially in you know a rebuilding situation where they're not going to go sign a second baseman. They're going to stick him in there and see what they've got for as long as possible. Oh, yeah. He's got, as much, he's got all the run he wants. And I think the only thing that's keeping him from you know being a mixed leaguer is that He's got the zero power, stole 19 bases. The question is, will he up that? Because I think a zero twenty is hard to play in mixed it is. leagues. It's like it is. Uh, it's like a Ben Revere, uh, you know, light. Yep. And uh, people don't really want to even play Ben Revere. So, um, you know, I, 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 but I think that the the playing time will be there. So if you gave him 600 plate appearances, now you're talking about 25 stolen bases, and you know, maybe the confidence, learning, um, you know, pitchers and all that deal. Uh, you know, it is a guy who's stolen 30 before uh, twice in the minor leagues. And uh, so I, I think, you know, if he can up that at all to like two or three homers and 30 stolen bases out of the second base slot, then we're going to be talking about a top 15, uh, top 12 type second baseman next year. And, uh, you know, that's MI worthy. And, you know, I think he'll have some eligibilities. Um, now I'm checking to see where he's played. Uh, he's got 
10 or excuse me 12 at short and 10 at third so in a lot of leagues he's still going to have other eligibility i know the general roto rule says 20 so he won't qualify at short and third unless he rallies here late but i think he's pretty steady the second baseman especially with utley gone but um yeah in in those leagues where he's going to have what's that and if you have that, then I mean, at the very least, he'll have OF uh, second baseman because he's got 20 games in the, in center field. Uh, and, and so if you if you got if you got the extra one, shortstop and third, then I think he's almost already uh, you know mixed league quality in that he can be like a util keeper where you're you're like this is the guy that's going to be my bench piece. And, you know, that's kind of you know not necessarily something that you normally keep in most leagues and stuff, but it's. You know, there's certain depths where it makes sense to keep a guy where you say, okay, I, I'm not keeping a shortstop and I'm not keeping a third outfielder, but I'm going to keep Cesar Hernandez. And, you know, depending on what happens in the draft, he's going to fill a slot for me somewhere. Sure, sure. I think uh, the outfield, the center field was from 2013 that he played. Uh, he's got 88 at second this year, uh-huh. 12 uh-huh. at short, 10 at third. But again, a lot of leagues are 10-game eligibility, too. Right. So you could still have the triple right. eligibility, and that does ch- change things. We don't have a great way of, of putting a number to it and saying it's worth this round or, or whatever. I know that was a big discussion in the uh, in the spring this year with guys like Josh Harrison. Um, it's definitely valuable. It's hard to say how much. So I think it's more of a personal preference thing. You know, Are you somebody that loves to have that flexibility because you're a mover and shake? on the waiver wire, then you should value those guys more uh, because you can place them everywhere else. Or are you a risk taker? You like to invest in guys who might get hurt. Another reason to invest in multi-eligible guys. So let it kind of be determined on your your strategy how much value you want to put on it. I tend to put a good bit of value on it. Some guys say I don't really move the meter at all on it. Well, you know, the deeper the league, the more it does matter because they're – you know, in a deeper league, the waiver wire sucks, and you know, just having a guy you can plug in is huge uh, when somebody goes down, and it gives you so much flexibility in terms of uh, you know what you're going to go out and get on the waiver wire. I mean, if you can, if you can switch, if you can have him as your util in a deep league, then uh, then he becomes your MI when your MI's hurt, and uh, and then you can slot in. Uh, another guy. So, uh, you know, like a Travis Cesar Hernandez idea is pretty good uh, yeah. because then you've got, you know, your way big upside at, at second base. You've got sort of mixed league type upside at second base. And then you've got your deep league fill in already on the roster. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, I, you could then go spend a buck or two on another MI uh, to start at MI. And then you've got three MI. I kind of like having a util MI. I know it, 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 it drags down a little bit of your uh, possible production, but it also builds in a lot of security. No, I, to- I totally get that. Um, those positions are tough. Shortstop can be a nightmare. Uh, in a league of any depth, you've got to replace a shortstop. Good luck with that. So I, I totally get that. Let's move over to shortstop <laughs> because they've got uh, two of the more appealing uh, players that we have on this whole list. I think these guys, you know, they're going to be tough to get in your league. But if, you, if you're looking for a young keeper or if you're building around these guys, I think you're going to feel pretty good. It's, it's Xander Bogarts and Addison Russell. Those are the two obvious ones. You know, Bogarts is having a good year. Maybe for some of you he, he passes that superstar threshold that we've kind of, you know, invisibly set here. You know, no Bryce Harper's, no Jose Fernandez is. But, you know, Bogarts, I know he ranks he ranks very high. Maybe still at number one on ESPN's player rater at shortstop. 
but I don't know that there's some overwhelming season at the same time that that's going to make him you know ungettable in your uh, in your keeper league. 321 average, but five homers, 10 stolen bases, 72 ribbies, 70 runs. It's really the average runs and ribbies that are driving his value, of course, because five homers and 10 stolen bases is not special. But we know this yeah, guy is special. That he is ranked number one. I mean, it's just looking across that line. I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's all the ribbies. Yeah, it's a saber coming out of me because I'm like, if you look at the things that he's done by himself, there's no way he's the number one offensive shortstop in baseball right now. It's yeah, like it's, all it's like all team practice. It's total fantasy <laughs> team context. That yeah, because if you, if you start doing WRC plus as an analysis or Woba, whatever you want to do, he's not going to check out number one. There's no way for Bogarts to do that. But it's really even more than the runs. It's those seventy. What did I say? Seventy two ribbies. That is yeah. huge. They give a they give a point value to every category on the SPM player rater, and his RBIs are one point five nine into his equation. The only guy higher is Brandon Crawford. And, of course, uh, Brandon Crawford gets a minus .15 for average, whereas Bogarts gets 3.51 points. So it's the average and ribbies that are driving it. And that's, fu- that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to discredit him. All I'm saying is I don't think that puts him in the superstar strata yet. You know, No one's trading their $10 Harper. They're keeping that no matter what offer you give them. They're, they're five or $10 Bogarts. I still think it's gettable even though you might have to pay because I do like him. Do you think we could see a power uh, breakthrough next year? I I do think so. I mean, first of all, just look at his ground ball to fly ball ratio last year and then look at it this year. So there's obviously uh, some give there. Last year he was one ground ball to fly ball. This year he's two. So um, he's obviously, you know, a little bit up and down there. And it's been nice that throughout he's – I don't – we don't really quote line drive percentage a lot because it's not not a great sticky stat, but – um, you know, his, his line drive rate has been somewhat sticky and he has been hitting line drives, even though his swing plane has changed a little bit and his, and you know, his bad ball mix has changed. So, uh, I do think that, uh, this is a guy who's shown more power in the minor leagues. This is a guy who's shown uh, slightly different swings in the minor league. Uh, this is a guy who can show more power again in the future. And I don't know if he needs a different hitting coach or, uh, just, uh, a different approach if he was trying to hit for average or what was going on this year. But I see more power in, in, in his abilities in the future. Yeah, I, I do too. I'm very excited about Bogart's, uh, his future. So definitely somebody you want to go out and get if you can. Uh, let's jump over to the outfield and start talking about some of those. Well, guys. no, I mean, oh. one more, one, one word about uh, Addison Russell. Oh yeah. yeah. For, I totally forgot Russell. We, uh, we do need to talk about him because you know, Russ, yeah, he's Russell's had um, strikeout issues this year, and he's had this time and time again um, in the minor leagues. He's kind of, you know, come to a new level, struck out a bunch, uh, repeated the level, and struck out a lot less. And I think that's pretty much true of A ball, double uh, A. Uh, he has didn't repeat a triple A yet, but you know, going into you know, he finally went into triple A with the Cubs and struck out 15% of the time, and that was uh, one of his best strikeout rates in the minors. So, um, you know, to go from 15% and, and 17% and double and triple A this year to 30%, I think is a little extreme. You can see within his plate discipline on terms of uh, in terms of what he swings at and when he swings at it that he's been more disciplined recently. 
and um, just to, you know, get, combined with his his intelligence and his past track record, I think that the projections um, have him a little bit uh, a little bit off. I mean, twenty seven, twenty six percent. Um, I think is I think is a little bit too much for him. So I, I think he could get that down to like twenty four percent next year. Um, and uh, now you're talking about a guy who can hit two fifty, two sixty, two seventy. He's already shown that he has league average power, um, and I think he's got more beyond that. Uh, and he's just so smart and just a really great defender. Um, so I, I think he's going to stick at the position. There's uh, more growth coming. Uh, and I think this is the time to buy, honestly. I think that he's also a little bit attainable because some people might look at that swing strike rate, might look at that oh, strikeout yeah. rate. Batting and average. Might not... Yeah, and, and look at that batting average. And, uh, and you know, look at that batting average in concert with a 321 Babbitt and say, uh-oh, well, he's hitting 240 with a 320 Babbitt. What if it, the Babbitt goes down next year? So um, I, I think there's a little bit of an attainability and in terms of the deep league guys, you know, uh, there's uh, Kettle Marte, I think, was worth uh, talking about or, or thinking about at least. Uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, you know, I think some people might think that Simeon might not stick it short, but, but you know, I, I go and work the games. Year. Right. And I and also, I, I work the games in Oakland, and he, he works every day really hard. He's the, like, I know this sounds like beat writer crap and, and you know, Maybe you can roll your eyes at it, but he's the first guy out there, and he's out there with Ron Washington. He's got the uh, the circular glove that has no fingers, uh, working on his hands. Um, you know, Ron Washington records him doing uh, defensive drills, and then they they watch the video back. Um, he's got a short glove that has no fingers. That's sort of like an old school glove uh, that nice. you can on not catching it in the pocket and getting it in the hands. Uh, I mean, he's got every every possible thing, and for what's worth, you know, people feel like he's gotten better since Ron has has taken him under his wing and done this. So, uh, if he if he stays at short, you know, what he's done already is deep league worthy, and I think there's a little bit of power still remaining um, in him, and he's shown you know good production, better than his overall line in short bursts this year. Certainly. So you know, I, I think there's, um, I think there's a little bit left in Marcus Simeon. I, I agree. And, I think it's, I think it could be a year early situation with him because uh, there was some buzz right. around him, and uh, I think maybe Simeon folks might have just been a year early, and next year might be the the big step forward. I, I think it's a great call to stick with him. Uh, the defense, I think, is is hurting his reputation it, because it's gotten so bad, it's gotten so much play that I think it's actually affecting his fantasy reputation. Even though in in anything but like a score sheet league, his 34 errors don't really mean anything to you because they haven't taken him off the position. And like I said, even if they do in the long term, it doesn't affect next year, and that's really what we're focused on. And when you look at it, 253 average with 12 homers, 11 stolen bases, it's not the end of the world, but uh, it's not a disaster at shortstop either because short's been so tough. Yeah, and, and you look at him like versus a guy like Wilmer Flores now. Wilmer Flores, people haven't been talking about the errors as much. Um, you know, it's he's not going to he's not leading the league in uh, errors. His defensive value on on FanGraphs and his UZR are not that bad. Um, and you know, so people are going to think that Wilmer Flores is a better shot of being shortstop next year. I just don't see it. Like I, 
I don't think Wilmer Flores is a shortstop. I think Simeon may not be a shortstop, but that's a very different thing to say. Uh, you know, Simeon at least has the chance. Whereas I, there's no way if I ran the team, Wilmer Flores would never have played shortstop for me. <laughs> and uh, the fact that he has played at all, you know, the only thing I could have the, the way I saw it early in the season was that they were trying to pump up his value so they could trade, him, trade him as a shortstop. Well, they were. <laughs> And they they had they had a trade set up and it right. didn't go through. I think we all remember that. Um, so long term, obviously, so, so, you prefer. So Simeon. then he becomes. So then he becomes a second baseman, right? So if you want a shortstop beyond next year, you're much more likely to have it with Simeon. Uh, uh, so then Flores, you know, okay, is Flores a better batter? I don't know, man. I mean, in terms of fantasy, he's going to have a zero in stolen bases. I mean, he he runs like he's in molasses. <laughs> So, you know, now you're talking about a guy who is not going to get on base. He's not going to give you any extra sort of run RBI value by getting on base. I mean, he's, he's, he's strictly a contact guy. And, and he's, you know, he's not going to give you any on-base percentage value. So in an OBP league, it's not even, there, there's no even comparison between these two in my mind. Um, and then in a batting average league, you know, he's got those 16 homers. Maybe he has a little bit more power, but is that power enough to overcome Simeon's stealing? I don't think so. So to me, uh, Simeon over Flores very easily in, in deep leagues. Now, Kendall Marte, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's he been, has it's zero... been interesting, but uh, yeah. I, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to do with it either. He has zero prospect pedigree. pedigree. But he's only 22, um, and he's kind of holding his own as as a or 21, excuse me, as a as about a league average player, thanks in large part to a 345 OBP. I wonder how legitimate that is, though, when you've got a 350 slug. Right, and yeah, are they going to start uh, you know pounding the zone in on him um, more, um, or uh, you know is his uh, you know past wildness and reach rates and 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 really low walk rates is that going to come bite him in the butt um you know there's some people who said he wasn't a shortstop but you know it looks like now brad miller is going to be the center fielder and, and he's going to be the shortstop does he have zero power or does he have a little bit of power um is he uh you know is he just another kind of cesar hernandez type um, or is he a little better than that? So I do know that Kato or Kato, K-A-T-O-H, um, it's like a minor league projection system that's on our site. Chris Mitchell came up with it. Oh, okay. I know that yeah, Kato, Kato always Kato. Kato always liked it, liked Kato Marte. So. Oh, okay, so they, they, they like Kato uh, Marte. I think it's Kattel, actually. Kattel, it's yeah. not named after so, the drink. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got drinks on the mind. Uh, but uh, Kattel, um, I picked him up in a couple deep leagues last year and I spun him into like Jay Bruce and some other pieces uh, just because I thought you know this is a guy where he might turn into Elvis Andrews if everything turns out right and sure. I just I didn't know you know if that was worth keeping around no, uh, obviously these guys are all they're all a tier below Bogarts and Russell but uh, uh, I guess I was I, I put the Marte Semi and Flores when it comes to deep leagues uh, you said Marte Semyon. You said Marte first. I yeah. I I'll know. go Semyon. I, so. I think. Yeah. I, I I worry. Like, listen. I mean, it doesn't mean that if they, you know, the three forty five OBP. It doesn't mean that if they just start pounding him in the zone that he can't then you know get a high BABIP and, and utilize that speed right. and turn it into a, a two ninety average and kind of offset some of that difference. Uh, so that I get that, but. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I get drunk off power speed combos. I think I've made that known throughout my history in both writing yeah. and on podcasts. So th- that's why I lean Semyon. But uh, I think all three are are useful, deep shortstop options for next year. Cattell Marte, Marcus Semyon, and Wilmer Flores. We got to jump over to third base. Um, and we got a few guys here. I think there was one. Let me see. Yeah, I got to go back over to my list. Uh, there was one that you didn't list that I liked, and maybe you just thought he was too much of a star already. That's Michael Franco, and then uh, Brett Laurie and Matt Duffy. Those are the three names we've got. So if you don't think that Franco's like too high on that on that spectrum, and I don't think he is because he got hurt. If he stayed healthy and maybe continued to just dominate, then he might be in that untouchable superstar who has arrived. But it's still – we're still talking 77 games here. So I still think he's he's gettable, and that's really what we're talking about, guys who are gettable without you know killing your your prospects of, of uh, competing by trading everybody you've got. Um, so Franco's my top third baseman. I, I liked Laurie too. I, I think I, I've stayed loyal to Brett Laurie for, for so long that I'm still waiting for that big breakout, even though I know it's not coming at this point. But he's had a, he's had a solid season. It's obviously overshadowed by the fact that Josh Donaldson's been amazing and nobody's even paying attention. But you turn around and look, uh, 16 homers, five stolen bases, and a 269 average for, for, for Laurie. That's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, I think people will be surprised, maybe most of all, the fact that he's 25. Uh, you know, Michael Franco has all the sort of luster of a of a of a uh, the shine of a, a young prospect, and he's 23. So, I mean, two years is a big difference, but it's also kind of like, whoa, you know, Franco is only two years younger than Ari. Like that, I think that would surprise people. Franco, uh, I think, obviously, is the more intriguing guy. I think there's a possibility he keeps some of these walk rate gains he's made because he's already getting kind of the power treatment. Uh, he's, he's got a lower zone rate than, than league average. And, um, I think they're there. The book is on him. Don't give him anything in the zone. Um, so I, I think that he's going to have to adjust to that, but for what it's worth, he's managed to make, um, we not strike out. I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of weird line because he's got uh, a little, little bit worse than league average reach rate, a little bit worse than league average swing strike rate. And then this 15% strikeout rate, and the 15% strikeout rate is the one that actually fits his minor league record. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Is the is he going to make more contact? Is he going to get more selective? Or what's going to happen there? There is a risk, I think, with him that um, the projections are right, that it's a 260-300 guy uh, in terms of batting average and on-base percentage. Especially in the short uh, term. That, that, right. That's the thing. He, he's not, you know, growth isn't linear with, with these young players. So it's not just it's set in stone that Franco's going to get even better or even sustained. So that, that that's definitely in play. I totally get that. But I'm willing to and gamble Bob, after what I saw this year. But you'll still take him over Laurie because that Laurie's got 2,000 plate appearances and has already demonstrated to us that he's kind of a, a 260, 320 type guy. So, yes. um, you know, there is less upside with Laurie just judging on pedigree and age and all that. But uh, you're going to spend less on Laurie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, and that's, what, that's why this... I think Franco... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. That's why, that's why Franco wasn't really on my list because I thought of him more as one of these prospects that, that people would really love. Whereas that's fair. Laurie, I thought, is like, you know, I think people... You know, they're especially if you, if you do look at war or whatever, the, the, I think the, the small sample... Um, defense numbers are keeping him down. If you you could give him a, a win back 
I think, on defense. Because when I watch him in the field, or A, he's better at second base, where he play, he's playing more now. And B, he's very athletic. He's just a little uh, ADD, a little bit, yeah, uh, a little, little crazy. hyper, yep. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And so he, he like makes some errors that I don't think necessarily are going to stick around. So uh, I think true talent, he's basically a, a two. 60 270 type guy uh, with that kind of 15 homer, uh, you know, 15 homer power, five stolen bases. Um, you know, it's not your prototypical third baseman package, but it's a pretty good second baseman package. He's going to have dual eligibility. You know, I, I kind of like it. And and for what it's worth, it doesn't require any sort of of the the sort of mental stretching that it might take a little bit with Matt Duffy, which is, you know, Matt Duffy never really showed uh, this kind of upside for this kind of power. And um, you know. Maybe this kind of power. I I don't think so. I mean, you know, more like a 110 ISO in double A. That's that doesn't so really pro- project like. Hmm? Yeah, that's not so What's great. That? I mean, he hit 13 bombs so in the minors and he has uh, 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 in, in 1,087 plate appearances in the minors. And Matt Duffy has 10 homers in 607 plate appearances yeah. as a major leaguer. And so, you know, in, in, a, in a tough one park. Yeah. So I, I think a more I think a more realistic projection for for him next year is probably like 280, uh, 290. There is something I like about the the way he hits the ball on the ground and hits it decently hard, um, that um, and sprays it for a good amount and doesn't have a pop up. So I, I think there is a line drive stroke in here, and so maybe maybe you can go up to 280, 285. It's hard to project guys into 300 these this day and age. I mean, it just doesn't happen as much. So you project him for 280, 285 uh, because you like something about a swing. Uh, then you project him into eight to nine homers next year, uh, eight to nine stolen bases. That total package is about the same as Laurie and might cost you more. So, and, and there's not necessarily a lot more upside beyond it because Duffy is four months younger, five months younger than Laurie. So, um, you know, and neither, neither you're talking about pedigree anymore. So I think for Laurie versus Duffy, they're equivalent enough that price is what makes the decision for me. Exactly. What, what what are people going to charge you? And I think Matt Duffy has a higher reputation right now uh, because the, the fantasy world just kind of doesn't like Brett Laurie because he didn't pan out uh, and become a superstar after that 150 at bat, you know, first run that made him look amazing. And that's why you probably got to be careful with some of the rookies that we're seeing this year because some of them are going to backslide to being kind of a league average guy, which is what Laurie's been. If you add it all up, that's what he's been for the last four years. 97, 95, 103, and 104 are his WRC plus totals uh, for Laurie for the last four years. Talk to us about Jake Lamb, the the, the deep candidate well, you know, here. I think you just brought up, I think you brought up something pretty, pretty important to, to bring up because somebody said in my, in my, uh, in my chat today, uh, that, you know, that should we like reevaluate, um, you know, what we think about rookies, it seems like everybody, uh, is working out these days and, uh, and, and that, you know, that everyone's just sort of jumping into the major leagues and being fine. Um, I think some of that is the new aging curve. Uh, the new aging curve right now says that you kind of, yeah, just get worse. <laughs> you, know? yeah. like, like, you come that, up as is, and then just get worse. That 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 pretty much most um, that 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 especially when it comes to like pitching and certain uh, certain other things that that, that uh, yeah that there isn't much there isn't much going up. It's mostly down. So uh, maybe that's part of what we're seeing. 
Um, but and that's that's supposedly a, a post steroid thing. But then I think people also just don't think about the guys that um, don't make it. So I'm, I'm looking right now for my for the list that I came up with um, because. Um, because, yeah, okay, here we go. Javier Baez, Yasmani Tomas, Jorge Soler, uh, Resne Castillo, Matt Boyd, Mike Fultinavich, Aaron Sanchez. You know, uh, there, there are guys that, that have prospect pedigree that, that are coming up and, and struggling. So, I mean, Russell uh, has an 88 WRC+. Plus. I know right, he's playing right. great defense. He's been, he's been a net positive, but from a fantasy standpoint, not really. And Swihart needed that big month to get himself to an 88 as well. And he came up with big pedigree. So yeah, you're, it, it's not all, and, and look what happened to Jock Peterson. He came back down to earth. I'm still, my bigger question, not just about the rookies is about these strikeout rates. How high can a guy have and, and, and actually be a, a superstar, like maintain it, uh, you know, I guess like Chris Davis because he still has the upper you know, the the thirty percent range, and, and he's had another superstar year. But you know Peterson, what was it just bound to he had to come down right? We, we didn't want to believe it because he was kicking so much butt. But uh, you know, then all of a sudden it, it catches up, and is is it really that surprising? Yeah, he was taking walks with it, but anytime a guy's striking out thirty percent of the time, it can't be good, right? Is there any way that guys can sustain that thirty percent? and be superstar caliber players. Yeah. And I guess in some ways I'm a, a, I'm a Sabian-esque when it comes to my analysis of, of young players. I mean, you guys hear me talk all the time about contact rates and, uh, pick, you know, I, I, from day one, pick Franco over Gallo, you know, and, you know, you remember those conversations. We've been talking about Franco and Gallo as long as the sh- we've been together on the show. Oh yeah. You know? And, uh, and I just took Franco because I saw more contact and I'm not saying this, I'm not spiking the football, uh, you know, because Gallo has got career left. But what I'm saying is uh, it's still worth looking at strikeout rate. There are teams out there that think about strikeout rate who don't necessarily think that uh, a strikeout is just like any other out and that uh, we don't need to think about strikeout rates so much because for every team that's like the Astros and the Cubs, there are the Royals and the Giants, yes. you know, and, uh, and and so there are teams that are kind of zigging when others are zagging. And and for what it's worth, this is the first year, this is the first year since 2005 that the strikeout rate across Major League Baseball will go down. Wow. So, wow. 2005, when it was 16, 2005, it was 16.4 percent. Yeah. It's been and, spiking. Uh, last year it was twenty point four. That's four percent. That's uh, that's over, and not even that many years. Not even ten years. It went up four percent. It's insane. Uh, this year, this year right now is twenty point three. Maybe it'll go up to twenty point four. I doubt it goes to twenty point five. So it'll be. I think it'll be the first year that it doesn't go up. You know, the the commissioner keeps taking questions about the size of the strike zone. Um, you know, offense is down, and that's got to be a part of it because. Almost so many things. There was a, a recent article that said home runs per plate appearance are somewhat actually uh, comparable to the PED era, uh, and, and that the biggest difference has been strikeouts. You know, um, you know, I, walks, I walks it down at some level. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, the ISO in 2005 was 154. The ISO this year is 150. So you know, 
there's been some change there, but it's not it's not the same level as as the strikeout rate. So, and you, uh, you were going to mention a point about the walks too. They're way down, so obviously uh, damage that is done is a lot less damaging these days because guys right. just uh, guys free passes aren't out there. Right. So, well, I mean, in terms of what that means for how you look at players, I mean, I do think that on some level you like it's going to become more important. You know, and, and the floor situation. I mean, Albert Pujols is is, you know, if there was a guy coming up that looked like Albert Pujols right now, uh, even if he didn't have prospect pedigree, I'd be all over him. You know, if there was a guy in the minor leagues that had a 200 ISO and more walks than strikeouts. Oh yeah. I mean, that's in a way, that's what that's why we all love bets. Oh yeah. I mean, he didn't quite have that 200 ISO, but he had more walks than strikeouts, and he had a good ISO. So. Uh, you know, people can deride players like, like this and call them performance prospects and um, say that they're just beating up on the minor leagues. But minor league numbers are meaningful. Uh, they, they do have some correlation to the major league numbers. And give me a guy with a good strikeout rate over a guy with a bad strikeout rate if everything else is, is normal. I mean, Bonds, God, in this sample that I've got right now from 2001 to 2015, Bonds had 29% walks and 10% strikeouts. <laughs> That's so stupid. That's like uh, is that even real? when that happens on your video, video game. Numbers. Yeah, when that happens on the game, you're like, oh, I beat, I beat the game. I guess. Yeah, you know, my, yeah. my, my creative player beat the game. I'm getting, you know, thirty percent walks, ten percent strikeout. I hit a bomb all the time. And you and you put up the game. You're like, okay, I'll I'll get next year's version. Maybe they'll make it tougher because I've beaten the game. Barry Bonds beat baseball. He beat the I'm game. Gonna, I'm gonna sort. Okay, 2001 to 2015. I'm going to sort by strikeout rate to get an idea of what's sustainable over a longer period. It reverts to where it was in 2001, 2002, 2005, right? Yeah. It's possible we got here somehow. So, uh, you know, if you look at the full sample, uh, Juan Francisco's 34% is tops. And that's not sustainable because Juan Francisco doesn't have a career. Uh, Kelly, Kelly Shopak, Chris Carter. Uh, Chris Carter is about to play his way out of a career. Oh, yeah. Tyler Flowers. Russell Brannion, still haven't found a guy we like. Mike Zanino, Jack Cust, uh, nope. Uh, Mark Reynolds, eh. Had that, uh, Chris, but that's the thing. Had that year where he was a super-duper star and it couldn't last. Uh, he was, and, and so Chris Davis is right there on the next on the list. And is Chris Davis the next Mark Reynolds, I think, is a, is a decent question. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm still scared of Chris Davis. I love the power. But I mean, look what we look what happened in 2014. That's always waiting around the corner. I think now that was extreme, maybe the the 196 average. But but 220 and 30. I love 30 homers, but how valuable is it at 220? And how extreme really is it when Mark Reynolds has a 222 ISO in the sample and Chris Davis has a 249, and Mark Reynolds' average over that time is 230, and Mark Reynolds has had plenty of seasons with a 196 average. So. That's uh, you know, I, I, I stay away from those guys. Uh, you know, Stanton I've even talked about with strikeouts, but he's down at 28%. I would feel much better if a guy was hanging out at 28%. I, I want them to be on the right side of, of 30%. Now, what will Chris Bryant do going forward? Uh, you know, it may not stay over 30%. He's kind of there at the border of 31%. Mm-hmm. It's a decent swing strike rate, but it is also his first time in the league, and he's 23 uh, projections have him right there at 30, 32. Um, so I'm somewhat worried about it, but given so, what he's done and, and how 
how much to how much I like his swing and stuff. I'm not going to talk about it too much. But a guy like Gallo, yes, I care about it. Yeah, I got I got another one for you then because uh, a guy with Gallo's strikeout rate, but but Brian's performance actually better than Brian right now, but only 261 plate appearances. Miguel Sano's at 37 percent. The 16 percent walk rate softens that, but how long can we last at that kind of clip? 37 percent. Yeah. You know, and his swing strike rate, I think, is actually lower than um, than Chris Bryant's. Let me see here. Uh, Schwarber's at 15.2. Uh, Sano's at 15.7. And, and if you think that we talk about swing strike rate too much, uh, you should see Jeff Zimmerman uh, did a post on this. Um, uh, actually, Bryant has the worst swing strike rate of the three, 16.6. So, uh, in terms of one, you know, in terms of just pure making contact ability, um, uh, Sano is actually uh, on the better side of Chris Bryant. But, um, you know, he's been more patient and perhaps he needs to be more aggressive because, um, you know, being more patient with the 15%, 16% walk rate is great. But, you know, it's also going to put you in some weird counts if the, if the uh, ump isn't, uh, isn't playing ball with you. So, um, you know, I don't know. He, he's uh, he's changed some things already when it comes to uh, um, making adjustments uh, due to sort of swing plane, uh, uh, batting stance a little bit, and uh, you know he's closed up a little bit, and uh, you know a little bit of uh, you know change in his swing heat map. So, you know, I, I think uh, <clears throat> I think that. It's worrisome, but it's not. I'm not gonna say no if you're gonna trade me Sano because of it. Not gonna you say know. no to Sano. No, I'm not gonna say no to Sano. I don't. I don't think you should. Okay, we're gonna talk about outfielders uh, and wrap up, and then we'll do pitchers next week because we could probably we we can do a whole show on pitchers. We'll just expand the yeah, list. Yeah, we can do. Yeah, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's do a whole show on pitchers. We will. So that will be Tuesday's show. <laughs> we'll finish this up on outfielders here. Uh, again, some very interesting names. Peterson, we, we, we kind of briefly talked about already. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, another one on the strikeout side there, doing a whole lot of strikeouts. Michael Conforto, Stephen Piscotti, maybe on the other end there where they're not striking out quite as much. Gregory Polanco, those are the five that you had. And then I, I had bets in, and you said that that was one that you weren't sure. And I agree. It might be too, too star level because even though he didn't quite pan out on, on – the, the super hype that, that was uh, placed upon Mookie Betts, he still panned out. I mean, he's, ha- he's had a great season. Um, like, like I said, maybe the most aggressive predictions didn't pan out, but he's the 15th outfielder, according to ESPN. That's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I, I don't think that's too much below. Uh, I, that's probably right in line with his draft spot. So uh, maybe you can count him, maybe not. But then I also added, obviously, El Garcia and Jorge Soler. So uh, talk to me about a couple of the guys on your list. I want to skip Peterson. I think we've talked a lot about him, and we, we kind of did anyway with the strikeout talk. But uh, Conforto and Schwarber are two that, that really jumped out. I've liked what I've seen from both of them. Who's your favorite between those two? Because they, they do kind of have that uh, that situation that you're talking about where you're looking at the big strikeout rate with one guy and, and a much lesser one with the other guy, but the big strikeout rate guy does offer something more, which is Schwarber's power. Oh, my God. He hit a ball straight to center field that landed in the book. Uh, I think people will know what I'm talking about just from that description. I mean, it yep. was just a ball that just the moonshot. And it's so crazy. What, I, you what know, Conforto's. 
Yeah, and Conforto's homers, you know, some of them have been right over the over the wall. Um, you know, kind of just enough. You know, there was some question about how much power he really had uh, coming up. Uh, it's it's kind of like it's 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 kind of pushing me to the extreme of of my philosophy, which is if these guys were any closer in terms of power, then I would take Conforto every day of the week. But with Schwarber being you know, so out there. And I know that the ISOs are close right now. I mean, it's 250 for Conforto, um, you know, with a nice a nice amount of doubles and, and 294 for Schwarber. That, I, I honestly, that does, even if that doesn't sound close, I think that's about the closest they might ever get. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, exactly. I don't know. I mean, the, the Schwarber rest of season projections are for 200, 215 ISO. Uh, and, like, that seems uh, kind of ungenuine, like, uh, uh, ungenerous, like, uh, let me see here. Conforto's uh, rest of season projections have him with a 162 ISO. So the, both of them have him resting pretty hard. Um, and, and though I like uh, Conforto's, I like both of their power more than their projections. Um, you know, uh, I have to take Schwarber. I mean, Schwarber, even if he hits 240 next year, is going to spank the ball. And uh, and, I, and I believe in his power. Uh, Conforto. I don't know. I don't know. He could actually be a 160 to 180 type ISO guy. That's kind of what his minor league resume suggested he'd be. Conforto uh, could he be only had- Brett Laurie, I think, where he where he impresses maybe a little bit too much in 150 plate appearances, and people maybe start to think that he owns all of it, and then he kind of comes back down to something that's that's fine and solid, but but not overwhelming. I I worry about that with Conforto. Yeah, because it's it's hard to like take away uh, the prism under which you're seeing him, which is that he's part of this uh, juggernaut Mets team that's kind of uh, steamrolling right now. I mean, not necessarily in the last couple of days, but you know that has come together. He's been a big part of it. He's walking all the time. He's not striking out. He's hitting home runs. You know, he's throwing people out, even though people have said his arm is no good. Uh, he's making diving catches, even though people said, uh, you know, his defense was no good. So, you know, he's kind of he's he's doing a really good job of creating this narrative that he's way better than we all thought he'd be. And um, <clears throat> so it's kind of hard right now to really see through that and say, OK, what? What's real? What what part of this is real? And I, I do like that he has really <clears throat> balanced um, uh, ratios across the board in terms of um, uh, you know one to one ground ball to fly ball ratio, uh, league average pop up rate, uh, nice home run per fly ball rate that doesn't seem that crazy at seventeen percent, a little bit pull happy, but also has a couple oppo homers. Um, and uh, 42% hard rate is is really nice. That's that's up there. That's that's uh, you know if it qualified, it would be uh, a league leader, not necessarily the league leader, but but among you know a top. Yeah. So uh, I'm doing I'm doing that one right now. Let me. I'd actually I'd be interested to see. Let me see here. Uh, batted ball, uh, hard percentage here. 42.7 for um, 42.7 for him. He would actually be second. That's for Conforto? To who? Uh, To J.D. Martinez. Just J.D. Martinez rules. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and J.D. Martinez, you know, had a similar situation where he made adjustments and was way better than people thought he would be. And, you know, at some point, 
you just have to believe. So, um, given what their prices will be, like, uh, I don't, I would say that it's more likely that Conforto is about as pricey as, price as Schwarber. And if you give me, if you give me uh, Conforto plus half of Schwarber's salary to go get someone next year, uh, I'll take Conforto. Does the uh, speed for Polanco make a Polanco versus Piscotty discussion not worth having? Or do you think it's close uh, if this Piscotty batting average it, it has legitimacy to it? Where, where do you come out on those two? You know, I think it's a little bit more about playing time. And Polanco's situation is way more secure. Super guaranteed, yeah. Super guaranteed, whereas uh, Piscotty, and I think what the Cardinals have done in the past, uh, has shown that you know you can play your way onto the team and onto the roster, but you're not you're not going to play your way into a, a certain spot right away. Like even Matt Carpenter, you know, was he did he play his way into the starting second baseman spot? No, he played his way onto the team, and then they decided where they were going to play him later. Right, so. You know, Piscotty is going to be on the roster next year, but is he going to play ahead of Matt Holliday? Are they going to re-sign Jason Hayward? Is he going to play ahead of Randall Grichuk? Um, you know, where does he fit in? And uh, you know, if if Piscotty just takes over Hayward's spot because they're not going to spend that money, that's totally possible. Then you can compare Piscotty and Polanco. Uh, then I will take uh, you know. Some of Piscotty's gains in power, I will reduce his batting average, and I'll still take Polanco because Polanco's got the more balanced line across the plate, across the way. I mean, I think Piscotty will probably hit five to, to eight more homers than Polanco next year, but you know, Polanco's going to outdo him by much more than that when it comes to uh, stolen bases. No, that's completely fair. Uh, speaking of Randall Gritchick, he, he definitely belongs on this list as well. I don't know that, you know, he's had a great season, but I don't know that it's so high that, uh, again, not, not attainable. He'll be 24 next year, has strikeout issues for sure. Uh, 101 strikeouts in his 295. It's not crushes it exactly, and and, it, and it's. Yeah. I don't think it's quite the Schwarber situation where you know Schwarber just outmashes the, his strikeout rate, but it's pretty close. Grichik kills the ball, and you know I, I do get worried about strikeout rates, but uh, sometimes I just like I'll I'll let the skill play out. So Grichik's somebody that I'm definitely interested in. Got him as a cheap keeper in a couple leagues. Very excited about what he can do over a full season. Again, we got to see how the St. Louis outfield really plays out. Hayward's a huge wild card there. Uh, Grichik, you know, has had some health concerns this year as well. Isn't it el his elbow bothering him? Couldn't even throw the ball in the other day. So uh, oh, you know, got to stay healthy but too. There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a moment at 95 miles an hour, and that's the moment that um that Wayne Cespedes has been living at Wayne Cespedes with the Mets has been like averaging around 94.8 miles per hour on exit velocity and when you're at 95 miles an hour the band uh like this sort of Babbitt band uh is is huge like it's it it, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what angle the ball comes off your bat if you can hit it 95 miles an hour every time you can almost get a hit more than 20 percent you know what I'm saying like absolutely uh like uh, even a bad angle, like even if you hit it into the ground at 95 miles you're an hour, it floods. so hard it's bouncing off somebody's glove or or going right through. You no, start I totally creating get it. chances, yeah. So uh, Grichuk has spent uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen weeks in the major leagues. He has been he has averaged above 95 miles an hour on his batted balls in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those weeks. Wow. 
Wow. So, uh, and he has a, a, yeah. So, you know, every other week, Randall Grichuk is Gwen Cespedes. <laughs> okay, I'll, I can deal with that. So, yeah, he's he's <laughs> definitely on this list. Maybe he could even get him uh, a little bit cheaper than some of these guys on here because he doesn't have exactly. I think the he's sort profile. of the. I think he's the kind of the bridge between. Uh, I think Piscotty and Grichuk are kind of the bridge between this Peterson, Schwarber, Conforto, maybe Polanco group uh, to our deep league group, which we have Aaron Hicks. Um, uh, Domingo Santana, uh, Delano DeShields, Delano DeShields. Those guys uh, are, I think, uh, definitely deeply in guys. Uh, mm-hmm. But they've shown me enough this year uh, that I think they belong in the discussion. And I think the the Cardinals guys are kind of a tier in between the two where it's, you know, uh, playing time is an issue. What the, the, they do in free agency is an issue. They have, with Grichuk and Piscotti, they have no prospect pedigree. You know, they... they uh, May strike out too much, or we'll have to see about the power, that sort of deal. Uh, Hicks uh, and, and DeShields, and to some extent Santana, they don't really have prospect pedigree, or they've spent it all. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you know DeShields was a you know was a is a right-handed center fielder that was picked up on on Rule, Rule Five. Five. So, it's been great for uh, him though. He's been great for the Rangers. Yeah, and uh, good. I, great, great's overstating it, but I'm, I'm just saying for a rule five, started guy, out great. Yeah, started uh, out he great. hasn't been good since okay. his return from the injury. I got, I, I, yeah, got to admit that on on DeShield. since coming back. I don't know if the injury's still bothering him or what, but it has been a bit of a nightmare since since his return. That's fair. And I think the the there's a lot to wonder about him is what his true talent power is, uh, how good he is going to be against righties going forward. Um, you know, how good his roots are going to be in center field. Uh, his defensive numbers on the year, small sample alert, uh, uh, defensive numbers alert are minus. Um, you know, what they're going to do with Leonis Martin, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on there. Let's talk about uh, Hicks then because this is the intriguing one for me. This was a guy who was on my list as well. You know, a, a, a one-time, you know, like you said, used up his prospect status. Uh, obviously Byron Buxton looms overhead, but that doesn't mean they can't play both of them. Just because both are center fielders doesn't mean that Hicks is necessarily on the outs, and he's been hitting a lot better in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I like him a lot. I think they'll find room for him. Um, Just don't know. uh, You don't know where, you know, because it's not going to be center field. No, and Buxton's going to get that. I mean, there, there's no way Buxton doesn't open the season next year in center, right? Right. Yeah, and they they signed Tory Hunter for two years, uh, and they seem to like Eddie Rosario. Yeah. No, no, it was just and a one year like- deal with Tory, so he's gone. Was it? Yeah. Was I, it a one year deal? One year, ten ten point five mil. Oh, okay. All right. So, so there you go. So there's there's an opportunity for him. Uh, in right field, plus whoever they give a one-year ten, they, I, I think they could do that again with somebody. But um, you know, Hicks will have, will be the incumbent. So, um, you know, I think Eddie Rosario has a big chance of regression and uh, and opening up some time there. So, I agree. and then Plouffe uh, moving, being Plouffe to the outfield is a possibility uh, because Sano has to play in the field at some point. Yeah, he can't be um, a full-time so, DH right away. He just not there's no. Not no, so there's there's, no. there's some there's some going around there. Uh, I don't you know I don't know also uh, and, and but you know when you're talking 
deep league keepers, they're all going to have a little bit of, a, of this sort of thing about them. Otherwise, they'd be you know rock solid keepers. Uh, but I think Domingo Santana has has played his way into that. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's center field. Uh, I guess it looks like they're playing him at center. Yeah, really uh, impressive stint with Milwaukee so far. He, he was part of the Carlos Gomez deal. Yeah, and he, you know, he hits it hard too. And right now he's hitting it uh, close to well, not 95, but uh, 92 and a half uh, exit velocity. Um, you know, the hard percentage is way up there. Uh, let me see what he's got. Oh, it's not, it's not way up there. Let me see. Maybe the partial seasons is the deal. Oh yeah, it's better with the better with the Brewers. He had a little bit of a, a struggle with the Astros, and he's hitting fewer ground balls with the Brewers. So I think he's really coming in his own. I think he's the kind of guy you want to give some some playing time to. Um, and uh, you know, thirty percent strikeout rate is worrisome. But like I said, th- we're talking deep leagues here. This is a guy who has power. I mean, he that de- he definitely has power. Yeah, has and, killer power. Uh, Domingo Santana. It, it, was a prospect, but didn't necessarily get a lot of run in fantasy circles as somebody who, oh, hey, keep an eye on this guy, top 100 prospect. Got lost a little bit in the shuffle with Houston because of the depth of their system. And so, uh, you know, he's expired or he will expire. You know, he's very close to expiring his rookie status. So he's not going to be a prospect next year. He's just going to be kind of one of those under-the-radar guys in a new league uh, still with Milwaukee. So, you know, not all that well-known in your NL-only leagues, I bet. And somebody you could definitely get cheap. That's a good name. I, I I didn't think of that one. I like Domingo Santana though. Yeah. All right. You know that's going to wrap us up. Uh, we covered we covered the, the the hitters. Like I said, we were going to do pitchers, but then we got going, started talking about <laughs> all these guys, and I'm like, you know what? We're going to end up doing a whole show on pitchers, and that's the way it should be. So Tuesday we'll be talking tons of 25 and under pitchers that you can go out and start investing in in your offseason or even now if you still if you have no trade restrictions in your keeper league. I don't know. Some leagues don't have a trade deadline, so you could, you could be trading for guys right now shuffling for 2016. But, uh, you know, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Jason and I will be back on Sunday. Appreciate everybody listening. Take care, you know. Thanks. Thanks.